All right. Uh, so today we're going to be in Genesis 21, 22, and 23. Yes, it's a lot to cover. We're not going to read the whole thing um, uh, out loud, but we will do something with that. So pivoting, if you were in first service, from uh, an announcement, we're going to switch to a lighter topic. Uh, we're going to talk about slavery today <laughs> and uh, give a lot of examples about um, God's design for the, uh, the community, the uh, people of Israel. So before we, before we dive in, I want to give just a couple of minutes. There's one of the things you'll notice in here, there's a lot of uh, examples. Suppose that this happens, if you run into this situation and all of that. Um, and rather than try to go through each individual one, what we'd like to do this morning is give you an opportunity to read through these couple of chapters. Just make a note of two or three <coughs> things that kind of stand out to you, uh, even the ones that kind of grab your attention and you go, why would God uh, say this? And we'd love to have some discussion uh, around that as well. I've got a few um, selected, and I know Haley does as well. So uh, let me give you just a couple of minutes. I can, uh, I'll scroll through, scroll through here uh, just a little bit. If you've got it on your phone uh, uh, or uh, on, your, on your app or whatever, we can do that as well. But just take a couple of minutes, read through uh, 21, 22, 23, uh, and then we will uh, we'll dive in uh, in just a minute. So, Do you want me to set a timer like I did in my classroom? That would be wonderful. Okay. Thank you. Teacher Haley, coming to the rescue. All right. Are we supposed to be in Exodus? Yes. Yes. Exodus 21, 22, 23. How much time do we need? I'm sorry. Genesis or Exodus? Exodus. Yeah. Did I say Genesis? Oh, my bad. Sorry. I didn't even notice. That's the sad I didn't, part. I didn't either. Yeah. Class about Exodus all, all year, and now I'm saying Genesis. Thank you. Thank you. Exodus 21, 22, 23. I think that's. Uh, that's way too long. Oh, yeah. okay. Let's give it four. How about that? To read three chapters? Yeah, four minutes. Let me go with five. Okay. <laughs> that's a lot to cover, isn't it? <laughs> so, up to this point in the story of Exodus, uh, we have kind of these these two foundational things. We have the the why. Uh, why is God doing all of this? Uh, and the simple answer is that God chose these people to be his people, and then he delivered them. That's what God <laughs> continues to remind them. I'm the God uh, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt, delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, and now I'm going to give you this promise, uh, promised land. And as we saw last, uh, two weeks ago rather, when we uh, established, when we get to Sinai and we have the Ten Commandments, we're establishing the who in the covenant, uh, God and his people, these are the two parties that are going to uphold their ends of this covenant relationship uh, and arrangement. And so for the rest of the Torah, really, we get the, we get the how and the what. How does life in God's covenant work? And what does following God look like, especially in the context of community? So now we're sort of getting into the nuts and bolts, the nitty gritty, the day to day. How are we going to deal with certain situations uh, and those sorts of things? And especially in our modern understanding of the world and of society and culture and scripture specifically, uh, we get into all these head-scratching things. Like, why would God say that? Like, we're, we're still asking those questions. Why would God say some of these things? Uh, what was the purpose behind them? And how does it, it or if it does, uh, relate to our, um, our way of living, especially as people of faith today? Um, so, Ten Commandments are the foundation. Uh, we've established these are the terms of the... Um, terms of the covenant. This is the way that um, uh, this is the way that we're going to have sort of a not scorecards. Probably the simplest 
uh, way to put it, but at least a, a litmus test to say, are we accomplishing these things? God upholds his end of the bargain on this side, and the people of Israel uphold their um, uh, theirs on this side. So um, just as, a, as an opener, why do you think, in, in, the, in the context of 21, 22, 23, why would God say some of these things, not individually, but just as a whole? They are experiencing freedom for the first time. They have come out of slavery. They haven't been in charge of anything for hundreds of years. Yeah. And they have to have a starting place. Sure. That's a great point. So just good teaching. Like I started kind of general with, mm -hmm. we started general with the Ten Commandments and, and now let me move into some examples. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and these are things that would probably would come up. Yes. And it's like, well, that wasn't, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think about it in terms of like when I'm, you know, going over like my classroom rules at the beginning of the year. Like I have four major rules. But then I have to go into the detail of like what do those four rules actually mean in here? Like if I say be prepared for class, what does that mean? And I feel like that's kind of what God is doing in this moment. He's like, I've given you ten very overarching rules but now I need to go into the details of like what does that actually mean for you and what what are the expectations here yeah, life in community is messy and mm. things things are going to happen uh, and so when they do these are practices that um, create justice um, and not um, it's it's not super duper harsh there, right. there is a balancing of the scales. Um, you know, if this happens, then this. But it's very equitable. It's not if, mm -hmm. if you know, you break somebody's arm, will they be murdered? Or will you kill them as a result? There, there's some equity. Yeah. Um, balancing of the scales. I think there's a conversation here kind of talking about, like, natural consequences, right? Um, of, like, oh, well, if your child forgets their coat, then they get to know what it feels like to be cold, right? Like, if they refuse to wear their coat, like, then the natural consequence is that they're cold, Right. So I think what we're seeing here is exactly that. There's this balance. There's this kind of natural consequence that we're seeing. Um, but also, apparently, we were very concerned about what happens with a bull, like, in this time period. That's what I was like. That's yes. a lot of verses to cover, like, what do you do if something, if, yeah. a, if a bull is goring people? But, but, <laughs> but I think it's so interesting because on the one hand, it's like, yeah, accidents happen. You might not right. know that you have a bad bull and you really gore somebody. <laughs> mm -hmm. But if it does it more than one time, like, then yeah. it's on you. Yeah. Like you were being negligent because you knew. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think it's so fascinating. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Yep. And the people who would be owning the bulls would be the people who had the most resources yes. also. Which yeah. Which is interesting. Mm -hmm. There need to be more restraints maybe mm -hmm. for people who have. Mm -hmm. and, and there's laws in here. You know, some of these laws we look at and we say, gosh, that's so harsh. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's other ones that say, if somebody needs money, uh, because they're poor, and when they borrow money, don't charge them interest. And then we look at our society, and we're like, oh, maybe they were more just and kinder than, <laughs> than mm -hmm. we are all these years later. Yeah. I love what you said, Scott, about freedom, uh, that uh, though this is their first taste of freedom or even figuring out what their identity as a nation looks like, you know, God is really establishing these things for their benefit not for and for their thriving not for their restriction mm -hmm. you know they're not meant to be looked at as this little box in which we operate but more like 
a yard uh, that they get to play in, and God just says, like, don't go to the street. Like, that's, that's where the line is over there. The rest of it, enjoy and, and figure out what thriving looks like. And when you think about covenant, how much of a lack of love it would have been if God just said, you guys figure it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the human yeah. process, it's going to be, you think a community is messy with the rules, mm-hmm. try it without. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so in the same way as we think about parenting and how we want to raise up kids who are flourishing, this is God trying to say, hey, you haven't thought about these things yet, but when these things happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I see it as, a, as an mm-hmm. example of his nurturing. Yeah, sure. I wrote down, uh, you know, it's a form of protection in the absence of technology in the absence of you know knowledge as far as scientific advancements and those sorts of things or even education a lot of these people were just uneducated farmers uh which is kind of a theme throughout the bible as well right like god is saying i'm putting these things in place to protect you both from yourself and from other humans just being humans so we underestimate the value of being born in a society that is established in rules and where we've Mm -hmm. been given a trajectory to, to uh, reach independence. Um, I was fortunate to be in the former Soviet Union right after the fall of the Soviet oh, wow. Union, and there was a generation of people who had no idea what to do because everything was told. Your, your job was selected, your home was selected. Mm-hmm. And so freedom is really scary when you, mm-hmm. when you haven't been prepared for that. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's one of the reasons this I see this in the way. Yeah, mm-hmm. choice paralysis almost. Yeah, oh, yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. And yet there's still leeway allowed. Of course. Know, like a father can determine, you know, what, what the commensurate value of whatever, or, you know, there's mm-hmm. there's room for allowance to you guys decide that part, to stay within these bounds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Uh, I think it's also important to remember uh, that God is talking to both sides of the equation when it comes to all of these things. So the person who has maybe done the offense and the person who has been offended. Mm-hmm. He's talking to both slaves and masters. He's talking to both um, potential victims uh, and the person who has caused the uh, atrocities as well. So there's a balancing act that it's not just one thing uh, elevated over the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that in, in the way that you know God gives some of these examples to the people. Um, so real quick, who found, who found one that just is scratching your head a little bit going, why in the world would, would God say that? The, the tooth in the eye for a servant, if you knock out an eye, you put on your servant's eye, he goes free. If you knock out his tooth, he goes free for the tooth. Really, tooth and eye are the same. I'm just... Let's see. Yeah. I well, I thought it was interesting playing off of that because, like, right above that it says if a male or female slave is beaten and dies then the owner must be punished yeah. but if the slave recovers after a couple of days the yeah. owner shouldn't you know should not be punished but then it go, we go down a little bit and they're like but if they lose an eye then they can go free right if they lose a tooth yeah. then they can go free so it's kind of there's that kind of like well wait a second yeah yeah it feels like there's a fairness uh piece to that as well if they're unable to perform their uh their duties then mm-hmm. You know they're relieved of the uh, the burden of work, uh-huh. you know, so to speak. Yeah. I just find the, the tooth in an mm-hmm. eye an odd. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's probably some theology of tooth and eye there. Slaves are teeth; you can't process and eat. Yeah. 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 It's no dental care. Yeah. Right. It didn't exist. And an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth—that wasn't something that was unique to. Right. Um, mm-hmm. To Israel, that was that was kind of a common language, 
And so in this case, it's not if you knock out a slave's tooth, then then the slave gets to knock out your tooth. Uh, it's in this case, the slave gets to go free. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's it's I think showing a little bit of the difference in this this is a little bit of a different scenario because mm -hmm. because we're not talking about equals here. Now, are you, okay. yeah. now, I always thought the eye for an eye, that was actually a limit on what, it, that it wasn't common. So it, you're saying it was common among other nations even? Mm -hmm. yeah. saying just yeah. the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth yeah. and, and hand in hand, foot foot burn, but that it was, it wasn't an escalation. Yes. That, that one person, you know, something happens and so it was worse and then it's worse mm -hmm. and worse and mm -hmm. worse. Yeah. There I, I thought this was a limitation. There were certainly some societies that, you know, if, if, if somebody takes your eye, then, then you, you take your eye. Yeah. Um, and there were some other societies where eye for eye and tooth for tooth was, was something that they mm -hmm. practiced as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's more, it's more a way of God saying, like, don't take more than what is owed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. That's what I... Mm -hmm. I think that this is interesting because... <clears throat> In those other civilizations, um, it was usually whoever had more power. It was right. more offensive for right. someone of lesser power to injure someone mm -hmm. who has a lot of power. But here, it looks like he's really talking to slave owners, which yes. is the thorny mm -hmm. issue mm -hmm. in yeah. general mm -hmm. as to why would mm -hmm. why would this be acknowledged and, and apparently you know accepted um, this practice. But uh, that the, the, the slave, he's not going to be able to say, "I want to." take your tooth now, right. you actually lose him right. as a slave because you yeah. mismanaged That's right. yeah. as, a, as an owner. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we're talking about slavery here, by the way. Uh, a lot of English translations, especially the English language, just inserts that word in place of what, what would have been known as indentured servitude mm -hmm. back then. Mm -hmm. And you may or may not have heard that before. So it's, it's not as if someone you know, one day says, I've conquered you, therefore you're my slave now. When, when God is unpacking this particular uh, place in scripture, he's talking about people who might need to pay back a debt. Um, he's talking about people who may need to get back on their feet. So uh, one of the examples I read in a, in a commentary said, let's say your field goes completely barren and you have no way to um, uh, restore the land more or less. And so for, uh, for you to be able to earn some money or, uh, or pay that back or even um, kind of like subcontract it out, uh, let's say that your son goes to work for somebody else uh, and, and pay back the debt. And so another landowner says, you give me your son, I'll give you the money to help out, uh, get you back on your feet. And then once that period of time is over and he's been paid back, then your son can go back and live, live with you. One example that, uh, that would have been given. Um, uh, and, and another way is just to offer, uh, to offer help. It's, it's meant to be a communal uh, language. It's not meant to be oppressive in the way that we would traditionally think of uh, slavery and oppression in our modern understanding. Yeah. But what yeah. bothered me though was uh, like if you the, the slave owner provides a wife and then you have kids and yeah. you serve out your time, uh -huh. your kids still belong. So it's more like yeah. treating them like cattle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Or, you yeah. know, instead of yeah, yeah. There's so definitely a problem. It specifically says because. Because he's your property. Yeah. So it doesn't seem yeah. equitable for me. Yeah. No, it doesn't in some ways. Well, and the other thing you have to keep in mind is that, like, compared to the surrounding Middle Eastern cultures during this time period, like, this would have been a far cry from what they had seen before. 
where most of the time it was other people coming in and conquering other groups and enslaving them as true, like true definition of slavery. Like what the Egyptians had experienced in Egypt where they were overtaken and brought into this very oppressive type of slavery. So this for them would have been a much more lenient type of, of way of viewing things. And I agree with you in, in the whole, like if you have kids, then all of a sudden your kids are now enslaved permanently and then you have to choose. Do I stay with my family or do I stay in this servitude position forever so that I can stay with my family? So again, there's there's elements of it that, you know, are still very similar to what we equate to the oppressive form of slavery that we think of. But this in terms of what we see being set up is actually kind of a far cry from what they would have seen around them in other areas. Well, we, have to, we have to keep in mind, they had been enslaved for 400 years. Mm -hmm. So it was not uncommon for, for cultures to just be enslaved permanently. Mm -hmm. And we, have, we didn't read it in this section, but there is, um, there is the laws of Jubilee that talk about every 49 years, mm -hmm. slaves go free and land returns to, to people. And God also reminds them again and again, don't forget, you were slaves. And so if mm -hmm. your slaves cry out to me because they're being oppressed, mm -hmm. I'm going to hear them. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they're, you know, sometimes it can be easy to look back through our cultural lens and how mm -hmm. we view that um, and um, in that culture. But in the culture at the time, they're a, a step closer to justice and a step closer to, mm -hmm. to equity than, than um, the surrounding culture. Yeah. And we start to see that play out a little bit once we get to chapter 22. Uh, it's just a glimpse of how God is continuing continuing to set the nation of Israel apart from other nations, mm -hmm. uh, meaning that we don't just put up with things. Uh, when you look at the, the way that God talks about the Canaanites and all of these other, uh, other nations, God's not just going to put up with something. He even says, we're not going to tolerate it. In fact, we're going to wipe it out so that it is not a temptation for you and so that you don't just drift mm -hmm. drift over to their uh, their way of thinking and in the positive as well the way uh, that God tells the nation of Israel to treat foreigners amongst them mm -hmm. is so counter to everybody else and so everything prior to 22 about 22 15 16 uh, they would have been familiar with like yeah other nations do that and other nations probably have a variation of that they have some sort of code of law or understanding of how this works and this is where it starts to shift a little bit, and God says, this is how my kingdom, my justice, my way of living is going to be made known in the world. You're going to treat people way differently than these other nations would treat uh, foreigners or slaves or um, you know, people who believe something different than you as well. So, uh, what are some other examples that kind of made you, made you go, huh, that's weird? Uh, do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's yeah. What's the that whole about? reason we can't have milk <laughs> burgers. Cheeseburgers. Cheeseburgers, there you go. That's the easy one. <clears throat> when you're in Israel, if you're having bacon for breakfast, you can't have creamy or coffee. <laughs> they can't have meat and dairy at the same time. Meat and dairy. And, and, and have them in the same area. Which one is that? That's, it, that's that? the one verse. 2319. 23.19. <clears throat> We didn't quite make it all the way down. There it is. Yep. Don't cook a young goat. It's right after uh, bringing the best of your first fruits uh, of your soil. Oh, and also don't do this. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> it's really weird. Yeah, so in, in Jewish tradition, there's the law, there's the Torah, and then there's the, um, the hedge around the Torah. So if this is bad, 
and we don't even want to get close to it, so we're going to build a hedge around right? mm -hmm. uh, and that hedge there's is no dairy with any meat. So there's there's often two kitchens, one for dairy and one for, for meat. How about that? So that the utensil is like two And even in a hotel when we were there, if you could get cream in your coffee out at the bar, but you can't bring it into the restaurant that's serving meat. Really? Mm, really. <laughs> More you know. Does it say something bad about me that I kind of want to try it now? Because <laughs> <laughs> the only reason I told him I'd do it, it's got to be pretty good, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I think some, some people scratch their heads at this, and there's two ways to look at it. One is that was a practice that, like that was a way that some of the surrounding countries were practicing idolatry, is they were, um, they were offering a goat by boiling it in its mother's milk. Um, but some others talk about how... Um, like sacrifice and, and life and not taking life and things mm -hmm. like that. You're using an instrument of life, mother's milk, to kill something. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that is what they speculate is the bad thing, is using life to bring about death. Mm -hmm. So, pretty interesting. Did someone tell me why just sorcerers is like, just. like <laughs> a wizard's farm? I get it. Someone practicing to another god is like fundamentally wrong. Is it truly just a female version of that word called out? Medieval translators like play fast and loose with gender. That's an excellent question. Because, like, Gandalf's cool. So, fundamentally, feels yeah. off to be gender yeah. specific. Yeah. I don't know if it's gender specific in the Hebrew. Oh, well, you know, in, in the, um, new, what is the new revised standard, it even says female. Huh. You shall not permit a female sorcerer to live. Yeah, I think in those ancient languages, like, if it's gender neutral, they just use the male. So I feel like, I feel like the Hebrew would be specified if they would have translated that way. Well, they, they would use the male if it worked for males. Right. <laughs> right. If it didn't really work for males, they would just throw the There is a lot of speculation that as the Bible is being translated into English, whether it be William Tyndale or later on with King James, that King James had some big fears where women were concerned. Mm -hmm. um, and so as he's translating the Bible, like he's kind of, King James is kind of known for getting the witch trials started in Scotland and in mm -hmm. England and then later in the Americas. And so there is kind of speculation that like he might have encouraged that as the translation. Huh. This, um, is what, this is a later much later right. translation. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the NRSB does try to be pretty, yeah, pretty close yeah. to what it's... It's it possible, too, that that word sorceress, like, that's a word they would understand, and yeah. we just don't, yeah. like, we yeah. don't even know what it means. Yeah, yeah. it had nothing to do with temple worship. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking more along the lines of, like, someone who is doing harm right. through their work, um, not just, like, because eventually it becomes interpreted as, like, someone who is using natural elements to heal people or to do things and like and then of course that's how we end up in the witch trials and like you know mm -hmm. trying to explain things by like oh they're a witch like you know you cannot suffer a witch to live kind of vibe yeah a very brief cursory <clears throat> google search so so this there might be more nuance to this is that word doesn't exist anywhere else in um in the text and so um there is a male version of it that is used and so we're guessing about the meaning of mm -hmm. it um, so it, you're right, it could have a very specific connotation okay. this time because it's only... You're just mentioning, I mean, one we, we use very generic who, who yep. yeah. male, female, master, everywhere else. And mm -hmm. 
one of them be gender specific, and then probably yeah. three lines later, whoever sacrificed any other god, which in my mind would be rolled into yeah. 18. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it does kick off this section about, um, you know, competing theologies, um, other, other religions, other gods, uh, the way that they would have operated mm-hmm. uh, as well. Uh, it is interesting that that's the kickoff mm-hmm. verse, though. Like, yeah. yeah, just don't allow them to win. Mm-hmm. I, I have a question about um, the, the land that they were going to take. And it says all the way to the Euphrates. Did they ever go all the way to the Euphrates? Not to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't know of a time that they ever did. It's talking about their land. Oh, I don't even know where it is. But it's, it's down here. Yep. Uh, establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean, from the desert to the Euphrates. Yeah, to the yeah. Euphrates River. Mm-hmm. The Euphrates River was, it's, it's north, too. It's, it's way, I don't even know which side of it. East. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's east. I, I don't know that they ever crescent. were that far over. No, they weren't. They just kind of, they got to one place and filled it up and then didn't go further. There's other places in the Old Testament, by the way, where God just says, anywhere you plant your feet is the promised land. Anywhere mm-hmm. you plant your feet, I will establish my uh, my rules. So I think there's an understanding, uh, at least to them, like it could expand mm-hmm. from here to there. It could be a lot bigger than you, uh, than you realize um, it would be. So while it may not have been established necessarily, it's still the promise of God to like, you're going to get it all if you if you want it and if you'll follow what I say. But I think yeah. as humans and as tribal people, we tend to just kind of chill in one place and fill in what we know rather than expand out and all of that. Yeah. Well, you've also got moments where, like, they turn away from God, and so there's stalls in all of this, right? Like, there's this process of expanding gets held up because they turn away from God, and then they, they have to come. They either get drug into slavery again and then you just had this whole process of like mm-hmm. they possibly couldn't have made it that far because of this kind of circular nature that they tend to live in mm-hmm. and it gets really problematic from our point of view too because some of it later in the story is they didn't root out all the people they were supposed to root out right like they right. let people continue to live around them they married with people they weren't supposed to get married to mm-hmm. and all that i mean what they did do feels wrong to us mm-hmm. and the fact that they didn't do enough of that feels even more wrong to, to me but yeah that's that's one of the problematic things we have to mm-hmm. yeah. we're, we're also struck in the timeline with the discussion of the timeline with the, it doesn't mean it hadn't happened it just means it hadn't happened yet yeah yeah true it's true time to expand the trade or wherever god promised them to expand it. mm-hmm. it's got to not dry up first though <laughs> there's that whole thing going on right now yeah, this section right here uh, at the end of uh, 23 is another one that I think becomes central, especially in our modern understanding of, like, why would God say to wipe all these people out, right? Um, and something, something that I didn't really recognize until I, I started to, to read it, God doesn't say, like, you go do this. He says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take care of these people. Uh, I, also, I also noticed that, like, part of, the, part of God's provision is... He's not going to just take them all out at once because that would leave the land completely desolate and unusable and un, unfer, uh, non-fertile and unfruitful. Like God's saying, I'm going to do this a little bit at a time so that when your nation, when the nation of Israel is ready and big enough and can move in, it's already prepared for you. Um, but this is another one of those things like if, you've, if you weigh in our understanding of the world, 
uh, and especially the Old Testament and the New Testament, if you weigh the teachings of Jesus versus the Old Testament, are they in conflict? Is, that's sort of the question that we wrestle with, or at least I do. Uh, Greg, you bring up an interesting point, too. Like, you just have to ask Solomon what happens when you don't expel right. people from, uh, from the nation, right? Like, he was drug away and worshipped other gods, and, you know, the wisest man in the world even got uh, his eyes sort of shifted away from God and to these other things. Mm-hmm. What else? Other head-scratching things? How about dedicating the... Giving the firstborn son. <laughs> Anybody ever want to do that with their firstborn? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Leave that precious baby alone. <laughs> yeah. There, there, there will be explanations later. So mm-hmm. because this was written much, much later while they're in exile, um, the, the priestly writer is kind of going in and adding some things that they would have been familiar with. There, there mm-hmm. was a a ritual of consecrating. It's a dedication of consecration. Yes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, that would have happened for firstborn males mm-hmm. um, that, that would have been very well known. Um, and if you same. think about just like in, in history, primogenitor, the, yeah. the, the male heir, he's not tied to your family, he's tied to God. Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. like your primary focus as a family should be honoring to God. Yeah. Um, and so kind of having that earthly versus spiritual kingdom mentality mm-hmm. even in yeah, I think there's as a risk. Oh, no, you please. Well, as it went English, though, it got to be that the firstborn son was the heir of the kingdom yeah. of, the, of his father's mm-hmm. inheritance, and the secondborn went to the church. Mm-hmm. That was the tradition yeah. that mm-hmm. came out of that. Yep. I think there's also yeah. an understanding, too, that you know the way God establishes the, the family and the order in which you're supposed to take care of your parents and be a good steward of your estate, more or less, I think there's a transference here to say the, um, the weight and the onus is on the oldest to lead the family. And so that dedication doesn't put them in a special position necessarily, but it conveys the responsibility they have to their parents, to the family business, to um, you know, their siblings, uh, to the, you know, the wife and the children, and uh, you know, so on and so forth. So I don't think it's, it's so much as like send them off to God boarding school and uh, you know, let them... Uh, let them get this, you know, immersion. I think it's more of a, um, uh, more of an elevation of responsibility mm-hmm. uh, to say, like, these are the things that are important, and you're the one who's going to carry them on. And and God is always, I think, you know, God gives these rules and these laws, and then God is also always um, adding nuance to those. Mm-hmm. And so when you talk about primogeniture, you also have to think about the fact that Moses was not the firstborn son, and the fact that right. David was not the firstborn. And the fact right. of you know Jacob and Esau and and yeah. all the whole story of getting to Jesus, it's these secondborn sons that are mm-hmm. coming in, and, or lastborn sons that mm-hmm. are coming in and receiving the blessing. Mm-hmm. And you know it talks about don't let us worshipers live. And at the same time, there's a prophet that went and went to Hulda, is that right? Mm-hmm. Who, was a, who was a sorceress and uh, got some good information from her and, right. and uh, actually helped things. And so this. I think God is always adding nuance to the law and saying, yes, this is what I said, and I meant it for for good. And so if there are times when it's not for good, then <coughs> love and God's purposes for the world will always trump the law. Mm-hmm. Although we do see it in Hannah, mm-hmm. getting her first point. Yeah, that's why I think that's mm-hmm. yeah. She went 
Yeah. I also think that with Hannah, like she feels such a weight of blessing. Like, how could I not return this blessing? Right? Like I have prayed for so long and I have pleaded with God. Like, how could I not give this back? Right? So I think there is that element there. And there's an extra she she wasn't just following the rule of consecrating. She had she had promised Mm -hmm. I will I will give. That's why she made a vow. An extra layer of I think when we look back on the Old Testament, I think it's easy to see this as a code of law and not at, more like the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. Mm-hmm. And uh, the people of Israel would have treated this more like the spirit of the law versus an actual code of law. So, for example, uh, 15, anyone who attacks their father or mother is to be put to death. Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. Uh, best I can tell, uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of commentators, a lot of theologians don't think this was actually taken literally. Rather, it was to say, this is how important the role of a father and a mother are in the family structure. Now, that hasn't stopped parents for 7,000 years being like, hey, you know what's going to happen if you disobey me? Because God said so, right? Um, but I think, there's, I think there's a misunderstanding here that the elders at the time would have said, all right, so you said an ox took, uh, you know, killed your son. Let's go over here, see what's supposed to happen, right? It's more of an example of like, suppose, or if this happens, uh, here's a reference guide uh, to help you understand the situation, rather than to say, if this happens, then you should do this. If this happens, then you should do this. Now, there are explicit times where that does happen, but I think there are others where we have to look at it in context and say, you know, eye for an eye didn't mean literally take an eye for an eye. It meant equality, uh, and equity and restitution not to exceed, you know, the, uh, the offense, so to speak. You are, you're also going to see, though, <clears throat> what's always been the human struggle. Some take the spirit of the law, but then some take the letter yes. of the law. Mm-hmm. Legalism yep. is going to be the thing that separates from the spirit mm-hmm. from the very beginning. Oh, yeah. And the inflexibility and the failure to see the motive behind the law. Yeah. Looking only at what the law requires. Yep. Yeah. And the prophets will call them out on that time and time again. Oh, yeah. So how do you know the difference? Yeah. But if you were to read it and say, well, if anyone affects the father or mother, put them to death. Mm-hmm. But not really. But they're really important, mm-hmm. though. But then in other cases, it's literally, you know, like, how, yeah. how would, so if you're a if you're a parent and you're reading this law, are you going to take your son well, to his no. back pocket? Yeah. So, but if you're a legalistic person, you're yeah, like, well, this is what the yeah. rules. Are. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? Yeah. You know? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I guess that I guess that that nuance of like, right. And often what the prophets were calling people to, saying, hey, you're looking at this little part and you're tithing your dill and your mint, or you're you're honoring the Sabbath. But at the same time, you're oppressing the poor. And so you're not looking at it holistically. You're picking and choosing mm-hmm. the things that are easier for you to do or show you to be pious. And at the same time, mm-hmm. you're oppressing people and you're harming people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the understanding, too, is that these should be marginal cases. These should not be the typical, the daily, the, yeah. um, you know, none of us, uh, or at least none of them, would have experienced all of these things in their entire lifetime, Right. Um, so I agree with you, season. It's like, how do you know, uh, like, other than picking and choosing, how, how can you actually discern that? Yeah. I, I think Scott brought up a great point earlier talking about freedom, though. We tend to think of freedom as the ability to do whatever we want to do. Mm-hmm. But what Scripture teaches us is that freedom is living the way God desires for us to live. Mm-hmm. And so I think that when we're, when we're reading this text or when we're reading 
Jesus, or when we're thinking about how we organize life as a church, what was meant to be for freedom, we can actually use to hold people in bondage. Um, and we can, we can be legalistic, which then turns what was supposed to be a freedom into yeah. a form of bondage and slavery. Um, or we can say, what is, what is God calling us to? What, yeah. what does it look like to live in the new heavens and the new earth? What does it look like to be a people of God who is just and kind and merciful and loving? Mm. And, um, and then how can we be a people that reflects mm-hmm. being a people that worship that kind of yeah. God? Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, the whole history of the, the Jews is, you know, finding loopholes, you know, the, the, the infrastructure of the leadership, or, you know, it's like, you know, and I, I'm trying to remember the rule where parent or kids are supposed to take care of their parents, and then even in the New Testament, yeah. where they're saying, well, I'm, I'm not doing that because I'm taking that money, and you That's can right. forget, what was that called? Corbin? You know, what? Corbin? Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's right. So there's always loopholes. Yep. Yeah. Well, and I think that's why, like, when Jesus does come and he kind of says, you know, I, I know the law, like, but really it's love God and love others and that you work from a place of the spirit of that. Like, if I love God, then I will do these things. I will live in accordance to, and he's really kind of calling the Pharisees out because they put so many of these loopholes and laws and all of these things in place. And he's like, we, we've made this way more complicated than it needs to be. Like, yes, are there parameters in living in freedom? Yes, absolutely. You do it all through the lens of loving God and then loving others. Like, if you remember that that's the lens through which we look, then no, we don't need all of these books of, like, 8,000 things that you have to you know, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. Like, he's saying you have to live through the lens of what does it truly mean to love God? We don't oppress the foreigners. We don't, we take care of the poor. We take care of the widows. We take care of the orphans. Like, we do the things that we know in our heart that we're supposed to do that that's really what it comes down to, is that because I love God and out of that abundance, I'm going to love people. And a recognition of our, our happiness, our peace, our shalom can't exist when there are other people that are being oppressed. Exactly. So, so my well-being is tied to your well-being and, and living in a way that reflects that. Yeah. All right. Thank you all. Yeah. That was uh, tough stuff, I know. Uh, next week, 24 through 31. We're going to cover a lot. It's all going to happen on Mount Sinai. We have one, one setting, uh, but we're going to cover a lot of that story. And I promise we're going to show a clip from the Ten Commandments because it's absolutely phenomenal. <laughs>